So I look at it as, you know, stop seeing aging as something to fear. Start seeing aging as something aspirational. These really are like, I think the best and brightest years to pour just rocket fuel on on everything. Like we know more. Yep. We've failed more. We've succeeded more. We have more more money, more disposable income to do different things. We're still healthy enough to do basically everything. Welcome to Hone In with me, Saad Alam. This is a podcast that goes deep into topics that help you live longer and smarter. Each week, we'll deliver science-backed advice from the world's leading experts in nutrition, health, technology, fitness, relationships, and mindset. We cut through the BS to get you real answers and solutions. So let's hone in. Well, listen, we have Greg Scheinman here with us today. Uh, you are a, a now a longtime friend. You are a home, home ambassador. We've known each other for a couple of years now, and we've actually kind of schemed up a couple of things together. I'd love if you could do us a favor. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, first of all, it's great. It's great to be here. It's great to see you in person, and it's been great to see and follow the home journey. Um, a little bit about myself, 50 years old. Uh, Hold on. And look so good. Forget, very, I hate when people say for 50, you look wonderful. You're very kind. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, so I'm 50, you know, married to my wife, Kate, for 22 years now, 25 together. We have two boys, Auden and Harper, 19 and 16. Mm -hmm. So they are home for the summer, which is amazing to have them both with us again, which is, which is great. Um, like 30 years in the trenches of, of entrepreneurship and business from privately held companies. I started in the entertainment business, produced films, had a sports video company for years, which, which I was fortunate enough to, to exit. And then flip sides, kind of from entrepreneur and risk taker to, to risk management and was a partner in a large insurance agency for about 15, 15 years before we exited at the end of, of 20. 20. Um, and now I get to do really amazing stuff like this with you um, in this little passion project of, of Midlife Mail, which started out as me writing in my backyard, uh, turned into a newsletter, turned into a podcast, which became a book and which has led to a coaching program and, and speaking all around. And this movement to help men really maximize middle age and, and define what that really looks like for guys. And I do think I've really finally found what I am meant to do and what really you know drives me is you know, hopefully I can share these experiences and the things that I've learned along the way to, again, help as many men as possible, maybe get where they want to go faster, make fewer mistakes, live healthier and happier and longer, all the stuff that we, we love to talk about. So it's really like, if I can be a conduit for that, that's what really moves me. And it's, it's so interesting, right? One of the things I think I've realized is I am arguably one of the best, I would call it, mistake makers I've ever made or met. And the reason being is the more mistakes you you make, the more, I would almost say, hardship that you've been through, it actually accelerates you moving on to the next phase of your life if you learn from it. Mm -hmm. I call it successful failure. Yep. Successful failure. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. <laughs> what have what have been your successful failures? Oh man, we can start we can start right back at at the beginning. I mean my first job out of college, I was Harvey Weinstein's executive assistant. Ooh. Oh, yeah, wow. so I have this distinct, you know, privilege of of, of uh, having told him to f off thirty years before the rest of the world did, and before the Me Too 
era because I was able to go out and, and do it on my own and get a film up on the screen that was dedicated to the memory of my dad. Like that was a big goal, you know, at, at 22 years old. Mm -hmm. after that. Uh, look, I started Team Baby Entertainment, which was my sports video company. We were selling DVDs out of the trunk of my car <laughs> before becoming partners with Michael Eisner after he left Disney. I mean, and I remember him calling me at the end of our road when the valuation went from, it's called high to almost nothing, mm -hmm. you know, um, saying, hey, you, we, we failed. We're done, you know, now. Um, and I like the, one of the first writing pieces I did was like Michael Eisner bought my business and then I successfully failed. You know, it was like, <laughs> when I, when, uh, but these things all lead you somewhere, yep. you know, having to tuck my tail between my legs and, and go back into, let's say, professional services industry or a traditional business and do things like that. You know, they teach you a lot. They're very humbling there. And you learn a lot about yourself and about your identity and hopefully how to recapture some of that. I don't know why, but over the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of conversations with young people recently. And they always say to me, I don't know what I want to do. And I said, that's actually the way life is. I said, very rarely do we figure out what we want to do at an early age. I said, but the most important thing is you pick a point, right? And you put that point on the board and you sprint to it as hard as possible. You fail as many times as you can on the way to there. And here's the reality. You're going to get to that point. High probability, you're going to say, I achieved what I was supposed to, or maybe I failed getting there. But you're then going to have all this experience. You're going to have this vantage point to kind of look around and say to yourself, you know what? That's not the thing. This is the thing that gets me excited. And it sounds like you have masterfully moved from peak to peak over the course of your, kind of your career. Well, I don't know if masterfully is the right <laughs> word, but, but thank you. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to it. But what I have developed along the way, I think, is, is, is a framework to make better decisions. Mm -hmm. Because I think we all do need a personal operating system. And yep. we have to figure out for ourselves what the best version of us really looks like. What are we really going after? And how can we live that way and string as many of those days together as possible? And it doesn't prevent us from changing or pivoting. And a lot of the guys I work with now, especially one-on-one, -on -one, these are very successful guys by all metrics. Yep. And you find the common thread in all of them is still, what now? Or I got here, you know, yep. so what? Or maybe it's lonely at the top. Everything comes at a cost. What does success really look like? What do I want to do from here on out? Whatever industry you're in, whatever age you're at, like these questions continue to come up. And just like a computer operating system, you got to keep upgrading it. Your yep. personal operating system 2.0, 2.1, you got to pay attention to the stuff. And, and we just said it off air before when you started, run your life like you run your business. Mm -hmm. You know what, there's a, I think a lot of people don't realize in order to be successful, you have to take time out of your day and create your own personal whiteboard and constantly say, where am I going? What have I done? What's not worked? What do I want to improve? And for some reason, it's the easiest thing to do for us. But I don't know why, but we avoid it. Simple is hard. I say it every day. I pretty much type it every day. I'd end everything with simple is hard, which yeah. is why most don't do it. But you're not like most, so let's go. You know, that's kind of the call to action. The basics work. 
Simplicity is, is beautiful. I had it backwards for the majority of my life. Yes, so many. Fill all the time. Mm -hmm. Always be busy. Perpetual motion. Say yes to everything. Chase all of these things. And I know you that chasing authenticity where, where it does not exist is, is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I think you're exactly right that most men, at least and I didn't, we don't stop and take time for ourselves and build in, literally schedule in the open space to spend time determining rule number one, knowing what's important is what's most important. You got to know that. Say that again. Knowing what's important is most important. Yes. How do you know that? <laughs> it's simple, but it's very hard. I didn't know it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And this could take years for people. And again, there's no quick fixes. There's no shortcuts. There's no excuses to any of this. The fact that we are working on it, that's really, to me, the metric of success also. That we're trying to figure it out and we're working towards it. There was a shift for me. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I had Billy Mann on one of the first episodes of my, of my podcast. And Billy is Pink's uh, writing partner and producing partner. He's an incredible guy. And he said, chase the hit life, not the hit song. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? I don't know if you can curse on the show, but like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And he explained this more holistic view of what success should look like. And when we try to chase this one thing, the hit song or the, the sale of the business or the or anything, that we really miss so much along the way. And I realized that that's what I was missing. And, and that's what became my six Fs. I stopped, took time like yours and started writing down what was important to me. Family is important to me. You know, I really, really want to be a good husband, a good dad, a good provider. I want to do the things that my father didn't get to do, you know, with us. Fitness is super important. Okay. That's also, you know, that's health. How do we take care of our bodies and be here for a while? Finance is important, but how do you define that? I wanted, I defined it as I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it for as long as I want to do it. Mm -hmm. As long as I can do those things, then I have enough. So what does that look like? That's different for everybody. Food, food. What do you put in your body? Nutrition in there. I put fashion in because style counts, you know, but not about being on the cover of GQ, but like personal brand and confidence and what you feel good in, you know, what makes you feel strong and powerful and, and like you. And then fun, which I was not having enough of, or let, let me rephrase it. I was having a lot of the wrong kind of fun. Yep. And I think a lot of men suffer from this too. They over-index in work and they over-index in all these other areas and they, again, don't have enough of, of the fun, the really good kind. We let hobbies go and we let friendships go and we let experiences go in the chase of things, you know, and life and everything else. Uh, so that became my six Fs and that became what success really looks like. And again, that's, that's what I spend my time talking about with guys right now. Six Fs. Mm -hmm. That's it. Six Fs, five rules, better one or better two. There it is. Done. Done. Wait, we can hang this up. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have to ask this though, right? Because I think the concept, so you are, you've kind of branded yourself as like the guy that knows about middle age. And I actually, we've talked about this too. Middle age is almost like this weird word and it should be called something else because we're going to be living so much longer. And also too, right, you take incredible care of yourself. You and your wife document your lives. Kate takes unbelievable care of herself. When you approach middle age, 
how do you kind of like really break it down in your mind? And what is the construct for you of middle age? Mm -hmm. I think, again, I think it's different for everybody. And, and you'll hear me say that a lot, that it depends. Yep. I know some very old 30-year-olds. I know some very young 60-year-olds. So true, so true. So I really think that it is, it's a mindset. It is, again, how are you living your life? What are your priorities? Again, what does success look like for you? What does total life wellness look like for you? Are you living a high friction lifestyle or a low friction you know, lifestyle? What are you really going after? Again, when we go through the, through the five rules or when you figure out what your six Fs may be you know, in there, what does that really look like? You know, for me, it was 47. Mm-hmm. 47 was the tipping point because 47 was the age when my father passed away. So I always check like, wow, if I could get to 47, at the time when you're a kid, 47 seems really old. So old, it seems so old. So old, right? You, you get to 47, you're like, man, I'm still a kid. So I realized at 47, I still didn't know anything <laughs> at <Yeah>. all. <laughs> I still, I felt young. I felt like I had squandered a lot of time. And I felt like here's the tipping point that, wow, I'm in bonus time right now. And there's so much ahead and I'm just getting started and we're just getting started as a family. So I look at it as, you know, stop seeing aging as something to fear. Start seeing aging as something aspirational and go after life with that mindset. And you can do anything. Like these really are like, I think the best and brightest years to pour just rocket fuel on, on everything. Like we know more. Yep. We've failed more, we've succeeded more, we have more, more money, more disposable income to do different things. We're still healthy enough to do basically everything. So I even look at like 50 to 70, Kate and I talk about it all the time, like 50 to 60 or even 50 to 70, like, okay, these are gonna be high performing, expensive, like really amazing years because if we keep feeling like we're feeling now, let's roll, let's go. Let's roll, let's keep yeah. on moving. You said something that actually, I wanna break down a little bit more. Aging is aspirational. So I'm 41 right now, I am getting older. I actually believe I'm actually finally hit my stride. For mm -hmm. some reason, things are working better than they ever have in my life. I feel incredibly blessed. But if I wanted to, if I, let's say I didn't necessarily have the same mindset that both you and I had, how would I think about Aging should be aspirational. Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a great question because if I even say the word midwife to anybody yes. or a group of people, mm -hmm. what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh man, you're getting old. Or crisis, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Yep, crisis. Typically, midwife is associated with, with crisis. So again, how do we shift that mindset that society sees midwife as a time of crisis, as a time of struggle? as a time where our best days are behind us, not in front of us. Yep. So how do we change that? And I think you said it all right. We go back to, it goes back to simplicity. You gotta stop. You gotta take a breath. You gotta, I mean, these are some, and you gotta lean in and you gotta revisit. Again, knowing what's important is what's most important. Think about where you are. You may not be the CEO of your company, but you are the CEO of your own life. What does that look like? Where are you going? If you don't know where you're going, you're not going to get there. Yep. Tons of noise out there. I think one of the reasons that midwife is associated with crisis is there's so much noise telling us that that's the truth and what we should take and what we should put on our bodies and what we should put in our bodies and, and what's going on behind us or what's, what's negatively in front of us with health issues and this. And again, fear. 
How do we aggregate from all of that noise that's out there, curate down to what like we really think looks best for us and ruthlessly eliminate all the shit that is forcing that negativity like into our lives and into our heads. You're saying that the midlife crisis happens because there are all these expectations that you put on yourself and it may not necessarily be where you are in life. Do you think that's the reason why it happens? Like you get to talk to more men having midlife crises probably than the majority of anyone else out there. What's the common thread? So I think it's, it's there's three avatars. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting space. One, I think it affects guys at different ages and stages. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the three avatars. One, younger men right now, that are in their 30s, maybe approaching 40, are much more proactive about wanting to see what's around the bend, wanting to avoid it, which I think is amazing. They're much more open, willing to talk, get vulnerable, get transparent, ask for some help. Now, okay, maybe they've seen the dad or the boss or other things that they don't want to fall into, to that trap of crisis. So I love that avatar. and And I'm seeing so many more of those younger men and I think that's fantastic. And I think that that alone will continue to shift the tide into not seeing midlife as a crisis, but avoiding it altogether in greater percentages. The second avatar are these guys that are right smack in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Now that could be forties, could be fifties, it could be wherever you are age-wise, but how you're feeling. You know that that you are starting to feel like your better days are are behind you. It's the best I'm gonna look, the best I'm gonna feel, the best I'm gonna do, and it ain't that great. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough spot to be. And a lot of those guys are pretty set in their ways. They've been doing things the same way for a very long time. And they are a little bit more resistant to change, ask for help, get out there and and and, and do that. That's a bit of a tougher spot. And then the third avatar, these guys that are older, a little bit older, or they've come out of it. They've come out the other side and they're like, now what? Hmm. Hey, I've got the finance box kind of checked. I'm like, but I want to... I want to lose some weight. I want to get some energy back. I want to dress a little better. I actually want to stop taking 15 meetings a day because I don't have to anymore. But how do I even convey that message to my team? How do I stay as a leader? Or how do I show up better as a husband and father? Those are really the three, the three avatars. And I think each one of them requires, you know, it requires a different approach. So that's where I, I also feel like in this, you know, there has to be a framework that everybody can use. And when you start applying the rules that everybody can use and they can look in the mirror themselves and figure out what their answers are, they can take the experiences, they can take the advice, but they can really figure out what they want to do with it. I think that's where you have success. I wanna take another deep dive into it, right? So let's say I'm approaching 45 years old and I agree with you. Midlife crisis happens for different men based upon the, the phases they've already and their experiences they've had previously. But what are some of the feelings that men start experiencing going into it? Conformity is one of them. They're going through the motions, the same thing day in and day out. Mm-hmm. They're getting up. They're racing out the door. They're going to work. They're climbing that ladder. Mm-hmm. And they're repeating the cycle every day. And the norm has become maybe getting in, being the first one in, being the last one out, missing certain key pivotal events that are going on in life, maybe letting themselves go. So it's five pounds overweight one year, which becomes 10 pounds enough. You know, the drinks after work, the 18 holes on the weekend that becomes 27 holes, whatever it may be, it's that conformity. And 
because so many other men are doing it too. They're all, they're all doing this in there. And then there's that redundancy of doing the same thing day in and day out over time. So that conformity, that redundancy, and then that complacency where it becomes okay, this is what we do. And I'm doing it for all the right reasons. I'm a, I'm a provider, which automatically by default makes me a good husband and a good father. And that stuff gets confusing you know, in gray. And all of a sudden, you don't feel appreciated as much, professionally or personally. And you don't have the same connection at home. And that starts you falling into kind of crisis mode over time. And I think it's a slow drip. And I think a lot of these guys, they look for attention. They look for appreciation. They look for validation. And then you start to find it elsewhere. And that's a slippery slope. Hmm. And misery loves company. So is it the car... The expensive cars, the shiny new cars, the girlfriends, that a lot of this validation or I want to be seen, is that really what the, the I think emotional a lot of need? The, I think a lot of the stereotypes are true mm-hmm. that are there. Um, I think there's the misery loves company thing. There's the guys that just like to talk amongst themselves yes. about this is how things are and a little bit of the, you know, the pity party that we have. And I think there are a lot of guys that are asking for for permission to do certain things. And that's an interesting area where the relationships are not on on equal footing, you know, if you will. And they feel like they work so hard during the day that then they come home and it's like, I don't want to fight another battle. Over here, so they start giving in, and then there's that loss of of pride in a way, uh, and you just feel like okay, now like I'm grinding it all day, and then I get home and it gets harder, and then we go to the weekend, and we've got this dinner that we need to go to, and the guys are sitting at one end of the table, and the wives are sitting at the other end of the table, and we drink a little bit too much, and then we wake up the next morning, and we don't feel that great because we don't recover like we used to, and it's repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm-hmm. And it's a couple of vacations a year, a couple of cars in the driveway, a couple of tuitions. Couple of, there's a lot of keeping up with the with whoever those Joneses are and the appearance and the appearances of all of it. And that just becomes incredibly draining mm-hmm. and you start to feel tired. Hmm. I did. You start to feel tired and you start to feel this kind of malaise that sets in. And that's really what mediocrity looks like. And you realize, wait a minute, like this, I'm, I'm mediocre. This is kind of who I am and this is what I do and this is how I'm, and this is not what I thought 40 or 45 was going to look like. This was not what I thought fatherhood was going to look like. This was not what I thought my relationship was going to look like or the business. And I don't even know how I got into this business to begin with. And now I've been here 20 years. There's a lot of that. Hmm. Or again, I made it. I'm at the top of the proverbial mountain. And who are my friends? And what are my hobbies? And what are my passions? And am I divorced at this point? And what cost did it come at? Am I still married? Am I happily married? All of these, they're all in the bucket, man. We could keep going on, but it's real life. And we're all faced with all of these things and they're very personal and they're very individual. What do you think is, so let's say I've started feeling these things. I'm having anxiety about it. I start doing things to gain additional validation. I mean, the reality is, you can either do those things and change your life completely, or you can 
take on some other habits and change your life for the positive. Or you can stay the path and you kind of just get quieter, I guess, as time goes on and that voice inside your head maybe dies down. How do guys actually get through middle age? This is where it gets fun. Like really, it's, it's, it's simple, it's hard, but it's fun. Because now you're getting into the how. Mm-hmm. Like we get the why. Mm-hmm. Get why you want to be happy. Get why we why want to be a better husband. Get why you want to be in shape. Get the why. There's plenty of why out there. Mm-hmm. Like this is really where where we get down to the brass tacks, which is in the how that you're mm-hmm. talking about. And the how is again, you got to really ask yourself that question. Mm-hmm. Do is this the way I want to continue to live my life, or do I want to start to make changes? And then how am I going to make those changes? And just like anything else, if you go zero to 100 in a car, you're going to blow the engine. If you go 100 to zero, you are going to fry the brakes. So we have to start making one better decision, one better choice at a time. Mm-hmm. And it is as simple as, hey, if you're drinking seven Diet Cokes a day, swap one of them out for water. If you've been getting out of bed in the morning and just ignoring your wife you know, taking it for granted, it takes an extra second to give your wife a kiss good morning. Go for a walk, see the sunshine, leave your office to go see your kid's game instead of missing it. You start making the better choice the majority of the time, the majority of your life gets better. And you can't be afraid to do that. And we need support and we need to talk about that. Whether that's a coach, whether that is a therapist, whether that's an accountability partner, whether that's a group, whether that's listening to a podcast like like this, or there's so much great information that's out there from really, really bright guys that have ways of doing things. Start listening to smarter people whose lives you emulate and also your life will get better also. So it's, it really isn't like a switch goes off in your head and you go from being depressed and sad about middle age, having your crisis to all of a sudden being a different person. What you're basically saying is that there are all of these small incremental shifts that you make very intentionally in order to set your path a different way. Absolutely. You're stacking these daily little wins. You're going from a series of losses and feeling like you're, you're literally living in consecutive losses to how can I start stacking little wins? And we've been, and that term's picking up a lot of momentum, but it is very, very true. How can I gain incrementally? And what do, like, what does consistency really look like? And I say to me all the time, oh, but you're consistent, or I'm not really consistent. It's like, yes, you are very consistent. You're just consistently making the wrong choices. <laughs> We're all consistent. We want to start shifting to make to being consistently making better choices. So is it a flip of the switch? Not like you're going to flip the switch and one day you're going to go from bad to good or from good to great or, or anything. However, today is the day you start. You will get to a point where, okay, something's wrong. I need to make a change. You're there. You're at that tipping point where you say, okay, I know I need to do something. I always say, today is the day you start. The time is always now. There's one thing you can do. Like right here, there will never be a perfect time. There will never be a, I have to wait for that guy or that coach or this has to happen. And you've seen it. You're an entrepreneur. There's no perfect time to start a business. There's no perfect time to raise money. There's no perfect time to do, to do anything. There's always a reason not to do it. All I would offer is today is the day you start. And if you ask yourself, should I do this you know, or not do this? 
better one or better two, the choice is to do it. Put down the Diet Coke, go for the walk, kiss your wife, go to your kid's game. That one thing per day will, will add up huge over time. It's compound interest. You know, it's interesting. When we started this company, one of the things we did to validate the market is uh, myself and Zach and Seth, right, the two guys that we started earliest with, we sat down with 150 men between the ages of 30 and 70. And we basically said, I want you to do us a favor and I want you to chart kind of like, let's say this is uh, 100 really good, this is zero really bad, and then here's your kind of life, meaning 20 here, 100 here. And we basically said, we want you to chart how your health was over the course of time. They all said something really similar, which is kind of what you're talking about. They said, I came out of college, I felt great, I felt like I could run through a wall, I'd probably drink all the time, I'd hang out with my friends. Then I found a woman that I loved. I had two great kids. I took on this really heavy job. And then all of a sudden I started gaining weight. I couldn't get a hold of my emotions. I had to take care of them all the time. And I started feeling so bad. And then it was in that kind of trough where they described it as almost being in a grave. And they said, I had one of two choices. I could turn over and get progressively worse, quietly go into the night, or I could fundamentally shift my entire mindset and build habit on top of a habit from the darkest place of my life and claw myself out of there. And it sounds like you're kind of saying the same thing, which is like, there's no magic answer. The answer is think about how you want your life to be better and start taking those incremental steps out. Absolutely, you're describing my life. I mean, basically you're describing the life that I lived from call it graduation of college to 47. And I think that describes the majority of men's life, which is why your survey went the way it was. I think if you took 1,000 people or 10,000 men versus 100, whatever the sample size is, I think you're going to get a very similar story there. And it is very true. And the reason it's true is because that's the story. That's the way we are conditioned societally to, to live and grow and evolve. But here's the interesting part too. Like what I've learned is that that's not true. Hmm. That is not true. We don't have to believe this story. We don't have to accept this story. We absolutely can make changes in our habits and our behaviors. We can consistently make better choices versus consistently make poor choices. And we have more runway and more opportunity today with advancement. Like we can eat better food. There's greater scientific breakthroughs. Quality of life can be higher than it's ever been. Sustainability, longevity. There's so many ways for us to get help, to get support, to live longer, better, happier, healthier, wealthier. I genuinely believe that everything we want in life is out there. It's available right now. I haven't created anything per se. Mm -hmm. It's all exists. You just have to believe that you can have it, you can live that way, and you can go out and get it. You will make, I've lost a lot of friends, but I've made new and better friends. Yep. Mm -hmm. Intentionally. I've, yes. Intentionally. Yes, I've you know, lost a lot of money, but I've made a lot more money and greater wealth shifting the way that I've lived. Deepened relationships that matter, lost relationships that really didn't. Like, what is really adding value to your life? And all this stuff is scary. It's very scary at the beginning. Oh, who am I going to hang out with? You know, mm -hmm. or or where are we going to go? Or I've been doing things a certain way for such a long time. There's a lot of there's a lot of fear and apprehension in that. 
But I can promise you that if you do take the daily positive action steps, you will come out better the other side. Now, I want to almost switch switch avenues here a little bit. <clears throat> you previously talked about your brother was incarcerated and him being incarcerated fundamentally changed the direction of your life. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I think it's similar, unfortunately, to my dad passing, but I think it's a combination of loss of life and loss of freedom. Yep. And loss of freedom scared me more. Mm -hmm. Because you're still alive, but you're not really living. That scared me even more. I could justify or at least rationalize to an extent getting sick and passing away. And I could justify and rationalize taking better steps with my own health to try to extend my runway and live healthier and longer. The loss of freedom really, really hit me hard. The thought of, again, being stuck, being in a box, you know, not being able to, to climb a mountain or be out or see people or travel or do anything. And I also started to equate it to like getting up and going to work every day, like going to the same office in a different kind of box and a different kind of thing. The loss of freedom hit me really, really hard. First and foremost, I mean, because, you know, it was my brother and I didn't want to see anybody, you know, suffer or, or have to live like that. Um, but I also took, I, I see these situations that they can either defeat us or they can define us. And, and yeah, like, you can have the little pity party and you can feel defeated for a little while, but then you've got to turn around and go, okay, this is a defining moment. Now, what can I control? Can I control what I can control? And again, set myself up to live better, to live healthier, to climb more mountains, to take better care of myself, to not die at my desk. Because the alternative is like, um, if, I'm not, if I'm free and I'm not really living free, then like, I might as well be in the box. You know? What's the point? Yes. What's the point? What's the point of all this? I do three personal and three professional things per day. Hmm. That's it. That's my model. That's what I have figured out over all of this time, and that's what works for me. And I have a pad, and it says preparation, consistency, and accountability across the top, and it has one, two, three, one, two, three. And every day I write down three personal things and three professional things that I am going to do that day. That is my capacity. The rest of the time, I try to build in the open space like we've talked about before, because I think that's where the creativity comes from. That's where the real fulfillment comes from in there. So I think figuring out kind of what your bandwidth is, mm -hmm. and again, what your energy capacity is, what energizes you, what drains you, how much can you take on in any given day to make this sustainable for, for the long haul. So that's how I break down and my I break down my days. And... I rely on my calendar. You know, what you schedule gets done in there. So a lot of what you see, it's obviously it's by design, but you know, I could show you, again, here's what my schedule looks like each day. Here's when I see my clients. Here's when I exercise or train. I don't always know what modality it's going to be. That part I go on field, but there's a framework for me to operate off of because I'm kind of like, like I'm just a simpleton again. I'm like a golden retriever. It's like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it needs to be in a format that I can actually absorb and that I can feel like this is actually moving the needle and it's not too much and it's not too too little. And we keep playing around with that. But it all goes back to, again, 
family, fitness, food, finance, fashion. Like it all goes back to the six Fs. And if you look at the calendar that I have, that reflects it. And if it doesn't, then I got another question to answer. And then how do I take the tasks that I have to do, need to do, want to do, get to do, and do three of them each day on the personal side and three of them on the professional side. And 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 that can look like anything, you know. As I could look like hit the cold and the hot, take my dogs for a walk, uh, you know, write my rewrite my my second quarter review or something on the personal side. To on the professional side, it could be sitting down and having this conversation with you. It could be coaching clients. It could be dealing with a financing situation for for the brand. Any one of those things, and then add that with seven to eight hours of sleep a night, and and I can operate pretty well. Talk to me about your TRT journey. You've been a very vocal proponent of TRT at the right time for the right phase of your life. What has your journey looked like and when did you make the decision? I had all the questions and all the apprehensions and all the fears and all the stereotypes uh, starting at 40. Mm -hmm. So it's 10 years. Mm. At 40, I started feeling like I wasn't recovering the way that I used to. I was feeling like things were getting a little bit more difficult to do mm-hmm. um, from an energy standpoint again. Going the the way that I wanted to, the combination of work and life and everything. And that's when I really started getting my blood work done and taking a look at my testosterone. And each year, and I, at that point I was working just with my primary care physician and, and a nutritionist, and I was kind of changing up some of my workouts. And I did that for seven years. Again, 47, again, was my launching point of like, okay, let's really, really pour some rocket fuel on this. And I was feeling okay, Mm -hmm. but I was very resistant. And at 49, 47 to 49, when I really started taking off, really started dialing some things in, really started making some changes, that's when I said, you know what? I think it's really time to to look at this. I think I'm really, I'm ready for this. I'm over a lot of the hurdles. I don't think I'm cheating. I don't think um, I'm sacrificing. I don't think that this is unhealthy. All the reasons, everything that I had been looking at was pointing me towards get your energy back, start feeling more like yourself uh, and and live the life the way you want to and, and feel like you used to feel in there. And I went on at like 48, 49, and I started, as you know, through my through my primary care physician, but it was a very inefficient, ineffective process. And when I got turned on to hone, it was like, wait a minute. And I was just coming here. It was like, this is an efficient way to get a product that is making a significant positive impact in my life. Again, simple as that. Mm-hmm. My body weight didn't change. Mm-hmm. I'm already bald. You can answer the stereotypes, okay? <laughs> I wasn't having sexual issues. Uh, I didn't care what my bench press or what my deadlift. This was not about any of those things. All of a sudden, I started to feel more energy. I started to feel better during the day. I started to be happier. I started to sleep better. All of these other compounding kind of like ancillary positive effects that started to fill back up the bucket, like the real bucket that mattered. Again, the family stuff, the financial stuff, the travels, all the things that I really wanted to do. Midwife Mail as a brand started taking off. There were more things that I was able, better things that I was able to participate in at a level 
you know, and an intention, and actually even being cognizant and able to focus, all of that stuff started started getting better. And again, now at 50, I am a staunch proponent of how I feel, what my energy levels are, minimum effective dose. Yep. Not about you know winning any kind of competition, not about taking any shortcuts, not about looking for any skin, but what is the minimum effective dose for me to feel like I'm at my maximum potential and maximum capabilities as a 50-year-old guy? And we'll keep evaluating this. And now it's every 90 days. Get the blood work done. We see where we're at. How are we feeling? And I think you lean into the science. You lean into doing good work with good people. It's the same as every other tenant and principle and framework that I operate under. And I'm all, listen, I'm all for it. Um, I also feel like, hey, this is for anything. You know? Whatever you do, just own it. Yep. Just own it. You want to ask me a question? I'll give you ask me a straight question. I'll give you a straight answer. Just just own it. I think it's unbelievable. I think it's fantastic. So one of the other things I do enjoy doing is watching how many different modalities you stack with your TRT. Meaning, right? Like you said, it it gives you more energy to do with the other things that you're excited about in your life. It gives you clarity. You have now seems like you are a hardcore sauna plunge, sauna plunge kind of guy. What are the other modalities you incorporate into your life? Because because there are a lot of other things. And let me actually, actually, let me say it differently because I know we're running out of time here. If you could only keep one of those in your life, which one are you keeping? If I could only do one thing, I don't know. One, the one thing I would do is is walk. Walking has made the biggest difference. Hmm. That and and I never was a walker pre-COVID. Now I'm a walker. So walking has just made a huge difference mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. If we're talking about modalities of like products or things, I would certainly. I mean, TRT. I would not go off. I, I, if that's the one thing I could choose to stay on, I would stay on. I would stay on TRT, so that I'd be able to do the things that I want to do the way I want to with the energy for as long as I want to, and I think that opens up a lot. You know, it's hard to pick just one thing. I know I'm a, I'm a talker on this stuff, but it's like I don't know if any of that stuff is necessarily needed as much as I find it to be an enhancement mm-hmm. to my overall life. They're just like you don't need the, all the equipment I have in my garage gym, for example. You don't need any of that stuff to be fit, really. But I like it. Mm-hmm. And that's why some of these other things have made their way into, into my life. It's scary to sit in 39 degree water. I don't love getting in, but I really love the way I feel when I get out. I don't love 180 degrees or 200 degree saunas, you know, particularly either, but I genuinely like the way that I feel when, when I'm out. So a longer-winded answer to your question, but I do think all of these things add up again. And, and I think if you have the opportunity to try different things and see how they make you feel, if they add value to your life, continue to do them. And if they don't, so so be it. I appreciate you. You are wonderful. Um, and I appreciate our friendship tremendously as well, too. I always ask this, how can people find you? Yeah, first of all, thank you. The feelings are, are, are mutual. Um, between, I'm not hard to find. Uh, midlifemail.com. 
and at Greg Scheinman on Instagram. Those are typically the places that, that I hang out. You can get the book. You can download a free PDF guide. You can subscribe to the weekly newsletter and the podcast. It is all there, midlifemail.com, or find me at Greg Scheinman on Instagram. Great. All right. Listen, man, we appreciate you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening into this episode of Hone In. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe. And hey, if you have a minute, drop a comment below with your biggest learning, your insights, your takeaways from this conversation. I would personally love to hear from you. Tune in each week for more answers to questions, solutions to problems, and tangible advice that you can apply to your life to live smarter, stronger, and longer. One more thing before you guys leave. This is important. The Honan Podcast is intended as general information. Our purpose is to educate, inspire, and support you as you live a healthier, longer life. The use of information on this podcast is not, and I repeat, not intended as a substitute for the advice of a physician, medical, or mental health professional, and it should not serve as diagnosis or treatment. If you are suffering from a psychological or a mental health condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. Thank you so much for listening to us.